Hello, and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics number 65, the Trial of Dungeon World Recap. One of the things that we're doing with our Patreon campaign is we are trying to set up pretty regular game sessions with games that we've not played before. Our first one was Dungeon World, which is something that we had been familiar with, and I'd listened to some actual play podcasts other groups had done, and I was very interested in playing it. So we uh, managed to get Jessa from the YouTube channel, the Jessa channel, to run a game for us. Uh, It includes myself, Caleb, Matt, and Scott, who you should know from the Secrets, Lies, and the Undead 13th Age game that I'm currently running. And we ran through basically a one-shot Saturday game of Dungeon World. Now there was a lot of this that got cut out of the actual plays, and I did release them prior to this coming out, so I, I do encourage you to listen to them first. It's not required if you just have an interest in Dungeon World and you want to know a little bit more about it. I think just listening to this will give you a a decent idea, but the actual play itself might make some of the things we talk about make a little bit more sense. So anyway, on to the show. Here is Table Topics number 65, The Trial of Dungeon World Recap. these table topics, we often try to give advice uh, gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop role-playing games. But we know that this advice or our opinions aren't going to fit every situation at every game, every table, every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal to all situations, and that is our motto, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you're playing or what edition or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, If you're having fun, then you're doing it right. We also like to start off our episodes now with what we call our Gamer's Lexicon. And this is uh, basically sort of a a definition of a term, a phrase, an idea, a concept, something in the RPG sphere that maybe someone kind of new to the hobby may not know. So since this is our The Trial of Dungeon World recap, I thought I would define Dungeon World. And I'm quoting here that Dungeon World is a fantasy tabletop role-playing game created by Sage LaTora and Adam Coble. The game uses the Powered by the Apocalypse engine originally designed for Apocalypse World and used in Monster Hearts and other games. The game is advertised as having old school style with modern rules. The text of the game was released under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 unported license. So I will have some links in the show notes for uh, being able to purchase Dungeon World as well as Apocalypse World and a couple other of the the tools that um, Jessa used during our game if you want to check out what she was talking about at times. So as usual, I have brought along my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you tonight, sir? I am doing quite well. How about you? I had a fucktastic day at work, but I'm here now, so that's great. Explicit rating, kids. (laughs) Broke that seal early. Every now and then, you just got to keep us honest. You know what I mean? We had uh, four players when we played Dungeon World, myself and Caleb, but we also had Scott and Matthew, who you have not heard yet, but you will soon on our Secrets, Lies, and the Undead podcast. Um, Scott, you have already heard on our Fae Deadlands game. Uh, Scott, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Howdy, those out there in Radio Land. This is uh, Scott. I I play Martine on... uh everybody's favorite fate game i'm positive and i'm uh, tickled here to to be here to review our dungeon world game that's okay i can cut all that out all right matthew please uh, introduce yourself <laughs> hi i'm matthew from uh random episodes of the rpg academy or the dnd academy it was at the time maybe i uh i love these guys you shut up <laughs> You're also on another podcast, right? Are you still on I, that? I am. I am on other podcasts. Uh, I have my own podcast, the probably questionable podcast, which may or may not ever come back. Check it out, <laughs> but or not, because who knows? It's like the Schrodinger's. Right, exactly. It's both alive and dead right now. Exactly, Schrodinger's. Right? How, how the fuck do you say that? Schrodinger's. Schrodinger's. Schrodinger's podcast. That's that's the name of a podcast right there. Somebody write, write that down and make it. Okay. Can it be on your network? Of course. Which I don't have no. yet. It's no, the Schrodinger's Network. 
Done. We're, my co-host is Co- uh, is Caleb. Done. We're all <laughs> no, and then we're gonna also have the show where we just make tr- make Michael try to pronounce things. Yes. Oh, I love it. Can't remember people's <laughs> names. I read a lot, so I've seen words that I've never heard. Just like uh, Marge Simpson one day when she said "wind" instead of "wind," she's like, "I've only ever read that before." But anyway, all right. So we are here to talk about our experience with Dungeon World. Now, one of the things that we want to get off uh, the top, and Scott brought this up in our pre-conversation, is that it's still hard to judge a game by one session because there's all these other factors that play into it. The players at the table, the the moods, the the baggage we bring to that to that game, the, the knowledge or lack thereof we had, our particular DM at the time, the adventure that we're in, the choices that we made. So. Even though we still had a very limited experience, there's quite a lot about that game that, that interested me beforehand, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to play it. So I think we're going to have a pretty good discussion about the things that we liked and some of the things that we may not have. And, uh, you know, the episodes are currently out on YouTube. You can listen to them now. They eventually will be released in podcast form, more edited down to the relevant content. Uh, but hopefully you listen to it, then listen to this conversation, and you might want to try Dungeon World or might not want to after that. Uh, but I do want to th- say thank you once again to Jessa. She was a, an amazing host. She did all the recording for the YouTube for us. She did that on her own time. She allowed me to post it. Uh, she gave up like six hours on a Saturday for us. And I can't thank her enough for her time. And I do appreciate that. All right. So, Caleb, I'll start with you since you're my normal co-host. Big picture, what were some of your thoughts about Dungeon World that from the game that we played? Oof. Big picture, I am very intrigued by the system i think we really only got a taste of it we didn't we got an experiment there so we really didn't get too deep into a lot of the finer mechanical intricacies of the system which as we all know that is where i tend to live so i would like to play again to dive a little bit deeper into it but i like the concept that the system presents And I like some of the very unique mechanics it uses. It's still a D20 system, uh, but it is a very different system than any D&D from AD&D all the way up to 5th edition. It's drastically different. Did you say it was a D20 system? Because I don't think it is. Didn't we use D20s? No. No, it was D6s. It's a D26 system. Oh, 2D6. Yeah. Well, fuck me. I'm totally wrong. (laughs) Well, we did have all those macros set up, so all we did was hit a button that said hack and slash, and it did this stuff for you, so that's a more forgivable error. But from the Crunch Master, you'd think you'd know Ooh, better. Shut your all mouth. right, Scott. Zing. <laughs> so, so we'll go to Scott. Again, sort of big picture, not necessarily get into any specifics. What was your feeling about the I game? I feel that, you know, the before playing, uh, I, I suspected, and after playing, I confirmed that the promise of Dungeon World is immense. This, this idea that, that uh, you can create any sort of story, you uh, sit down with your players beforehand and collaboratively create the world in which you will set your games. That way everybody gets to you know, opt in, uh, accept the world for what it is. Everyone has a, a shared sort of common sense that works well to foster game communication. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's a really promising system. I, I think that the teaser we got uh, made me thirst for more, but I uh, was disappointed, maybe because I'd really hyped myself before the game, that a few of the things were were maybe uh, crunchy or crunchier or less storytelling than I had been led to believe, and that was interesting. It's 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 kind of a mix, you might say, between a a heavy storytelling system but with enough crunch to satisfy the Caleb G's of the world. There's a lot of us. All right, Matthew. So same question to you, my friend. Uh, sort of big picture. What was your what was your thoughts uh, about I'm this game? I'm gonna have to agree with what you said in the fact that it was one game. It was a lot longer than I expected. So because of that, I kind of, and not to mention, I had some problems with audio and stuff. So I feel like I can't give it an a fair rating without playing it at least one more time. But I did enjoy it. I did like the mechanics. I liked the way it played and 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 the way it was GM'd. And also I thought it was had some very interesting little nuances, kinda like the uh like when we found out the one unique thing while while we were rolling up thirteenth age characters, it was 
it's this one thing that's very paramount to the whole game. And I was like, oh, that's that's very interesting. Like the, uh, during character selection, when it was like, oh, you get to pick one of these three options for e each part of your guy. You know, do you wear this? Do you wear this? Do you wear this? Do you use this? Do you use this? Do you use this? It's very um, straightforward. Well, actually, you know, based on what you were saying there, Matt, that does bring up one point right off the bat that I don't know how I feel about. In, in Dungeon World, the first thing you choose is a class. And then that class tells you what races you can be. Now, I don't have the document up here in front of me, but as a basic example, it's saying, okay, you want to play cleric. A cleric can be either a human or a dwarf. And if you are a human, you get this bonus. And if you are a dwarf, you get that bonus. I, that was actually one of the things I really enjoyed. I think it takes... Um, sort of intestinal fortitude for a game system to deliberately uh, limit, you know, that to, to take stands on no, not every race can play every class. Like uh, to make a video game analogy, the um, Dragon Age. In Dragon Age Origins, dwarves cannot be casters. the The world simply disallows it because they they do not conduct mana, but they start with a racial bonus as a defense against magic. Right. The the universe that that the the creators have assembled takes a position on what certain races can and can't do, and I don't know if that's always a bad thing. Well, it does go back to second edition, doesn't it? In second edition, you uh, there were there were race and class requirements and restrictions. So it's a bit of a throwback. Could be looked at that way. I guess it depends well, my, if you're if, if the world you guys agree on narratively defines them, or it just mechanically defines those rules. Yeah. Well, and I would say being the the guy who's into the fluff that if I were to run Dungeon World, I would throw those rules out in a heartbeat if someone said, you know, I really want to play a caster, but I want to be a dwarf. Then I would say, okay, are you the only dwarf caster or are we going to play in a world that has dwarf casters? And those choices still define the world in the same way that not not having them or having them do as well. So we, we all agree we're going to play in a world that dwarves can't be casters. Okay, that helps us define that world in our mind. It helps us get involved in it. If we decide to break that as a group, then we've also defined the world in the same way. So the fact that they're there doesn't bother me because I will get rid of them in a heartbeat, but it'll be a choice that we make rather than just being a completely blank canvas that is everything and nothing as a generic world. So I don't mind them because I wouldn't be beholden to them. Of course, the mechanics don't necessarily reflect the ability to do that. You'd have to... Fuck mechanics. Hey, that's that's my bread and butter there. Master. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. I'm kicking you out of this uh, bowl of trail mix for that. I think I'm going to have a, a fuck count for this episode. I need David uh, to uh, listen uh, to this one. three now because you used it to describe think... itself. <laughs> more than that. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, okay. So I'm sorry, Scott, you were getting ready to say something. Oh, there. I was going to say that, that um, do you guys know if the, the basic setting for Dungeon World has a narrative justification for why they, they limit these choices? Or do you think it's just a metagaming decision on the designer's part to make you have only so many options to at character creation? I don't know. I, I have the book in PDF form. I haven't even looked at it. I, would I mean, the person to ask would be angry, but he would, he would know. One thing I noticed that, that that's... I think is a, is a critical note for for DMs and prospective groups on Dungeon World is, uh, you know, we especially longtime gamers we have the advantage of this shared understanding of the the setting or the universe that we're buying into. Are we buying into Greyhawk? Are we buying into, you know, a, a Rifts world? Are we buying into uh, these sorts of different settings? Right, Cthulhu. We, we we have a common understanding of of the assumptions that are in the universe and sort of the, the things that we expect to encounter. But uh, this system, given that you're uh, my understanding is you're supposed to generate the universe collaboratively, that if you don't flesh it out deeply at the beginning, people will make different assumptions and that will end up causing conflict during the game. And I think we had one good example of that in our session, which was uh, when we were talking about uh, our Druid who could shapeshift at will, but only into forms, which we hadn't previously discussed may or may not be, common to a contemporary forest in the universe we created. Yeah, that that was an, an, an oddity. And again, I I don't know. I think we talked about it after the game. I wasn't sure why Jessa made the choice that she did there. In her mind, it made sense. In mine, it didn't. Uh, but again, maybe there was some element of the game that we didn't understand. But it, it did seem like it was just a, a difference of opinion more than a difference of a mechanical rule. But but yeah, I agree with that. And, but I don't think that's necessarily Dungeon World. I think that's 
RPGs in general, that if you don't fully understand each other, that world building, then you're going to have confusion, which I think is honestly where the whole maps and minis versus narrative combat really comes into play is that when you have maps and minis, you, you remove the human element of, I don't know where I'm at. Because when you told me I was next to the ogre, I thought you meant that ogre. Right. So, so the equivalent so. to maps and minis here is is having a um, you know shared literature. Some of us have read the Forgotten Realms novels, or uh, all of us have read the descriptions of the um, possible uh, patrons, or or the, or the gods, or the pantheon, or in Thirteen Age, the you know you you understand who the the higher powers are and what they mean and represent in this universe and 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 that's lacking in a universe that you construct on the fly so i i think it requires a lot of uh, vocalized uh, common consent to bring everyone to one place where i mean everybody's been in that dnd game where where the the new player doesn't know that it's frankly against the law to murder strangers in a bar and goes ahead and does that and then you inevitably snap the the, the next four hours of your life or a boring trial scene or a dull chase from the guards right we've all been there and, and, and it, I, I think it's a hazard. It it, it uh, has a strong potential to derail a game. Okay. So one of the things that I want to do uh, to get into specifics is I want to go through and have each of us talk about one thing that we really liked, either about the system or the game or both. And then we're going to go back through and talk about something maybe we didn't like about the mechanics of the game uh, to kind of give a contrast between those two. Um, so I've started with on my screen, we're going left to right. I'm going to switch it up. So, Matthew, I'm actually going to start with you. What was one element of the game from like a mechanical standpoint, uh, the system, that you you really liked? Shape-changing. I fucking loved it. I thought being a druid, I was like, I'm going to be a druid. It's going to be fun. Change into something. I'll have some fun. I didn't know that I could literally be a friggin' animorph. It was awesome. Because I think that's the problem with druids, because that, to me, is why a druid exists, is to change shapes and to have a little animal friend. And then all these little nature spells, I get it, but I want to change into animals. So I was really excited when I could jump through the golem's legs as a cougar, land on the other side, be a human, and then transform into a, a bull on the other side in one fluid motion. It was just I had the biggest nerd boner for stuff like that, but that that would be my uh, crunchy druid. Yeah, no, not no. So to summarize, I'm almost still Caleb's under here. The fact that your character felt like they were a good representation of what you wanted it to be, rather than like a D and D system where you start off as a first level and it's twentieth level, you're a druid. You can do all this cool stuff. You were able to be a druid. I was a druid the whole day time. one. And time. I thought I had a really nice backstory for my druid, but that didn't really come into play. But whatever. I, I liked my druidness in all of its druid majesty. Okay. All right, Scott, what about you? What is a, an element of the game, a mechanical system part of the game that you enjoyed? I, I think the most promising mechanic to me about the game, and one I did enjoy in our session, I think would have been more enjoyable about third or fourth session when everyone's more comfortable with the rules, was the fact that the rules don't change suddenly when you're in combat. You don't derail the flow of the game when you start combat to roll initiative and make a big list of who's in order, and then everyone gets onto their phones because they're bored and somebody has to draw a map. That the, the, the fact that you just steamroll right on through combat and then through a social interaction and, th and then through a chasing in the desert using the same core set of rules that you all know and understand, I think is extraordinarily valuable. It, it re reminds me of GURPS or Fate in that respect. Uh, yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I, one of the, the elements, because I had done some research on the system beforehand, and I've listened to some other actual plays about it. And one of the core concepts is that everything is called a move. Like whatever, whatever the sort of specific actions you take, it's called triggering a move. And the way the game works, it's supposed to be more freeform, more conversational, I think is the word they use. And as, as the DM says, well, what are you doing? And you tell them, based on what you say, that might trigger a move. So if you do something that sounds like you're attacking it, that's a hack and slash. So then you would activate that move and roll that. If it's a shape shift, it's a deception. If it's a spell, basically you don't say I'm casting a spell necessarily like an action. You say, well, my wizard will release magical energies like in a fireball. Okay, that's a move, uh, casting a spell. And it's supposed to, in theory, keep you from playing your character sheet and get you to play your character. And that's why the, the, the whole verbiage of what are you doing? Not what does your character do? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then you just happen to say the magic 
Pee Wee Herman word of the day. Oh, okay, that word means something. Now we do something else. And I, I found that an interesting. I don't think it did. I don't think it worked very well in our game, probably because we weren't very good at it. But I like the idea of it a lot. Now, now, do you think that this is unique to Dungeon World? I, I've noticed that um, in the 5e games I've been running in my household game, I, I've uh, strongly encouraged players to play the exact same way. Of, of, Don't tell me what skill you're rolling. Don't look at your sheet for the biggest bonus. Explain me what you're doing, and I'll tell you if you need to roll, and if so, what you need to roll. And, and that's a very similar system, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think um, my favorite word is codified. I think in Dungeon World, that conversation thing is, is a codified part of the rules. Where in other games, you want to encourage that, or certain styles of DMs do, I do as well, but it's not necessarily written into the rules that way. When you, when you read where it says player, it's, I, don't, I don't think anywhere it tells you that. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a component of the system that was built in from the ground up, rather than an assumption we've layered onto the top after experience. Well, it's really the focus. It's the focus of the rules. If you look at a Dungeons, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons book, 5th edition, 3-5, 4th edition, whatever, the focus of those rules are on the actions you take. And the economy of the game is based around those actions. From our limited interaction with Dungeon World, the focus of the game and the economy of the game is drawn from descriptive storytelling. So it, it feels to me like the, the focus is more on what are you doing and how are you doing it, and it's the responsibility of the GM to pull the action out of your monologue. But that might just be my perception of it. I, I don't know. We had a very limited uh, interaction with the game and even less interaction with more of the crunchy rules side of things, so I might totally... Uh, incorrect here but that's just kind of it may have been a short session but that's not going to stop us from judging it (laughs) we judge a lot on this podcast often and early just like voting all right uh so caleb so specifically because i don't think we got to it what was one of the things that you you did enjoy about the session or the the system Uh, i should say mechanically i liked how the the rolling was approached and resolved so yes i was wrong originally it's not a d20 system you roll 2d6 you are not rolling versus a target. You're not trying to hit a DC. You're not trying to hit an armor class. You're rolling a range of successes. And that's always, again, I might be wrong here, but it's a static range. You're rolling like 9 or higher or in between 9 and 11, something like that. And each power or ability or special attack you do, it has varying varying successes based on that role. Yeah, if I remember correctly, zero to six is always a failure. Seven to nine is success with a cost, and anything above 10 is a complete success. And, and that's the same no matter if you're casting a spell, if you're climbing sure. a mountain, if you're hacking a sword, you roll 2d6, you add your ability modifier, and less six or less, you didn't do it. Seven to nine, you kind of did it. Ten, you really, really did it. Now, I like that because... It puts a little bit more focus on the character itself, and you're more testing your own skill versus testing yourself against another entity in the game. But on the flip side of that coin, it also takes away some of the aspects of power and growth as a character. If you're not getting better, you're not necess- you're just getting better at that one role. It's not like in fifth edition where you get a better proficiency bonus or in three five when you're gaining more multipliers and different um different um, benefits that stack together you're you're always rolling against the same thing you're going to improve a little bit but that level of growth and development isn't there i still really like the mechanic but it also has its downsides for more of the mechanical crunchy power gamers that I, well, I mean, doesn't that just mean that that as as you're on the hamster wheel, right? If if, if you're not running faster, it means that the wheel isn't just. It, it doesn't mean that you're getting any further, right? It just means that the wheel's not passing as fast underneath you, right? So that that uh, the monsters and challenges that were relevant before will be relevant again or still, right? Exactly. So I don't, I don't know. I okay. um, 
it's I've noticed a big difference between when I sit in the player seat and when I sit in the GM seat, even going back and forth during the same week. In in the DM seat, I think, oh, you know, this is all about narrative and story. There's no need for optimizing. Why would you even need to level? We're all going to just play storyteller. And, and you know, I'm just going to tell you guys all wishy-washy, you know, yada, yada. And then when I'm a player, it is bonus, bonus, me versus you, animosity, I will win. So... <laughs> I, and I do find, getting a little bit off topic of the dungeon world, but uh, now that I'm playing more, I'm going back and forth a lot more, I do see that, that I don't always view the game as a player the way I want my players to view the game when I'm a DM. And that is an interesting thing that I think, it, if you DM, you should play. And if you play, you should probably try your hand at DM, and even just to figure out what all a DM does that you may not appreciate. But anyways, moving on. So Caleb, so we'll start, but we'll go back the other way. What is something about the system that you really didn't like, or maybe you didn't understand, or you'd like some more time with to fully understand? One of the things I did not like really was that lack of definable bonuses. That is solely my experience in that I bring to a table. Because I come from that 3-5 Pathfinder world, where you just want, always want a bigger number and you're always stacking those bonuses from as many different sources as you can get, I miss that if it's not there. It, it makes me feel like, like you know that feeling you get when you think you stepped down the last step, but you haven't, and you have that kind of oh, feeling? That's what I feel when I don't see a big number on my sheet and I'm not adding things up. So that that lack of bonus and crunch was disconcerting to me. So you're the kind of guy who quit World of Warcraft after the latest patch divided all the damage numbers in 100? I'm the kind of guy that never played World of Warcraft, Scott. Neither did I, but I still know what's going on in the community. <laughs> then yes, so sure. That's the kind of guy I am, if it makes you happy. So to get to your point, Caleb, like what I'm hearing you say is that you start off when you first start the game, you roll 2d6 and you add your applicable ability modifier, and that really just never changes. Like, over time, I think there is a way for your stats to go up, but I'm not actually, I'm not even sure about that. So, there's no situation where you can go, well, because I did this, I get three dice on this roll. You know, I have I have the right equipment, I have an advantage to use the parlance for 5th edition or teamwork bonus. There's no way to ever change the fact that I'm rolling 2d6 and adding or subtracting a small number and that really never changes over time. And you would like the more optimization aspects of a crunchier system that you could work it out, play the game smart, and get some bonuses that aren't really there in Dungeon Yeah, World. absolutely. And plus the uh, modifier system based on your stats was uh, a lower scale than a, a standard D20 derivative. Well, um, numerically speaking, you have to keep in mind that that uh, when you're using a D20, right, the you're, you're, you have a flat average, and so your numbers are going to be really bursty on the highs and lows. As you get into 2D6 systems or 3D6 systems like, uh, like Dungeon World or GURPS, right, the, the suddenly a plus one matters a lot more because it shifts you an astronomical amount in terms of probabilities up the, up the result scale, right? And um, I mean, I think 5th edition has admitted that it's even a problem with, with the flat die because they, they've introduced the advantage system to replace a lot of plus fours and plus fives. So that it increases your, your result without actually increasing the maximum number you can possibly roll, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I, known issue, I guess, is kind of what I'm saying. Okay, first off, I don't appreciate you being that damn smart. We don't talk like that on this show. <laughs> so you can go somewhere else. <laughs> no, but no, no you're, you're absolutely right. But also just the fact that, I mean, if you look at a D20 system, a 12 stat gets you that plus one, right? In the dungeon world, you get different bonuses based... It, it's a, I think it's a lower scale of bonuses. I think it's a range of three? Three. It, yeah, I noticed that somebody had an 18 and it was a plus three. And I, I didn't say anything, but I, I did notice that. It's like, that's kind of a weird thing. I just, just, I just assumed it was a different scale. But again, we're being nitpicky here, and we don't really understand all the intricacies of the system, and we don't the all... The Caleb have... is nitpicking about crunch... Who'd have thought? We all what the we fluff? all don't have Scott's gigantic math brain over there to tell us the real reason behind this. So I'm representing the everyman here, who might not That's always right. have a 
fucking genius degree of mathematics over there. So speaking of genius degree of mathematics, Scott oh, B, what was something you you did not like about the, the system? First of all, have you know I have an art degree. And uh, secondly, the, didn't like about a the system. Lie. <laughs> That's a lie. That is a government lie. He had too much time and money, so he had to do something with it. Uh, you know, we, we've we spent a lot of time hedging this evening because we, we're, we're all a little bit afraid that any of our criticisms will be based out of our own ignorance rather than out of solid, criticizable aspects of the game. But I'll, I'll go out on a limb here, and I'll say that given that the system shows so much promise for a generic storytelling system, I was almost disappointed that they seemed to have you know, hitched this thoroughbred racing horse to this big, decrepit wagon of D&D tropes. Like that, that, that you, you have a, a wonderful generic system where, where you're, you're using all the same die rolls, where everyone has almost all the same rules, and then you, you, you marry it to this cl- clutchy class system that's existed for 40 years that involves some classes that are clearly superior to others in fundamental ways rather than, and, and, and it has very narrowly focused classes, right? Where you, you want to play a druid, a, a, an anamorph, right? Matthew really enjoyed that because there's an exact built class for that. But if I come up with a, you know, some sort of gish half and half character, there's not an exact built class for that. So it's automatically a kludge rather than systems like fate or uh, GURPS keeps coming up where you, you construct from the ground up a, a, basically a class that is the character you've created. So I, I was a little bit disappointed by that. So their self-placed limitations or restrictions seemed out of play. Like they have a system that's built to do anything and then they put themselves in their own bubble for some yeah, they, reason. They, they seem to hitch themselves up to the, to the most popular but oldest tropes in the industry. Well, one thing I, w- I will say there is that Dungeon World is a derivative of a different game called Apocalypse World. And Dungeon World is specifically, hey, let's take Apocalypse World and kind of make it D&D. So I think that might be where some of that is coming from. Is I'm sure the Apocalypse World game is a little bit more broad. And they said, well, if you like D&D, you like fantasy, here's, here's some D&D-ish version of Apocalypse World. So that might be where some of that's coming from, Scott. Okay, Matthew, how about you? What is something about this game you did not like? I'm going to have to touch back on what Scott said earlier when he said that the rules being so open and so uh, free-flowing that when you finally hear no, it's kind of like, what? It's kind of like recently I've been doing some... uh, improvisational comedy with a with a new troupe and i've been hearing no a lot out of uh, a few of the improvisers and it's very like what are you why i don't you're, you're breaking you're breaking the one rule that we're never supposed to break improvisational comedy you do whatever they tell you <laughs> if it happens to be radioactive communist squirrels then you get to try to silently act that out on stage exactly. that's how that works exactly and there's just when I when you heard the no and it was so firm, I was like, I don't understand why it was a no, but I guess that was because we figured out that we didn't really clearly define the world. I would say that's more of a that's a DM issue. I mean, again, I thought I thought overall Jessa did a great yeah. job, but I would I would as a right. DM to DM nitpick that was not a good decision as a DM. I think it was an odd place. To, to say no as well, but I don't think that I don't count that as a system issue. That was the DM, the game, not necessarily the system. Well, I was linking it to the ability that the system you create this world, but if you don't create it deep enough, can cause problems. That that's what I'm trying to say. I'm that, not that when you, when you end up having a, a class system married onto a generic system. That that you have the spirit of the generic system that you can do anything, but then the classes have fundamental limitations so that their very distinct powers don't become overwhelm or underwhelm one another because there's there's absolutely no way anyone else can transform into an animal so we as Jessica explained to us in the session right that her her intent there and and the point of limiting you to only one terrain type is is to make sure that you're not you know Mr. Aquaman on your one underwater adventure uh, yeah which which uh Makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a sign of, of a number of things we've already been talking about. You're right, Matthew. That's it. Cool. Uh, very similar to Scott, really. I thought about this a lot. I mean, after that game, I, I, I put a lot of thought and time and effort into it, and um, I I don't know where Dungeon World falls 
in my desire to play games. It's nowhere near as crunchy as even a, like D&D 5th edition, not even getting to Pathfinder, because it is a lot more open and freeform, and I appreciate that. But if I'm going to play a more open and freeform game, I think I'd just play Fate, which is more open and freeform. And if I want to play, you know, I, I like a lot of what it did, but I think it didn't go far enough either one way. So it's kind of that middle, that, that hybrid that I just, I don't know that it scratches any of the itches that I have. Sometimes I just want to play D&D and I want, to, I want that class level D20 system. And then sometimes I want to play Fate where we can do anything. And to Scott's point, the rules are always the same, which is what I love about Fate. Like I said, that you go straight from uh, social to combat, back to social. There's no initiative. There's no stopping. There's no changing the rules. And certain, it's just going. And Dungeon World kind of does both of those but it doesn't do either one as well as their predecessors. So I kind of find it sort of like the misguided stepchild. It, it doesn't do what I want it to do in either way enough. To, I don't know that I need to ever play it again. It's I, like the sweater vest of role-playing systems. Keeps your arms <laughs> all cold, but your chest is too hot. What is it doing? I might as well just have two <laughs> sleeves. That would be a better solution. I like sweater vests. What are you talking about? Well, you look very handsome in sweater vests. I have some pretty fancy sweater vests myself. I've had a sweater vest party, in fact. I have vests, but they're not sweaters. I agree with Michael, though. Dungeon World, at least in our experience, seems to be doing or attempting to do a lot of things at the same time. It's trying to cover a lot of the bases. And when you have anything that tries to do a lot at the same time, those things end up suffering. Nothing is as good as it could be. I mean, Scott, you said this, it's kind of like fate, but with more math. So it's not quite as good as that freeform fate that we're used to when we can do anything and just kind of drive whatever game we want out of it. And it's not quite as good as Dungeons and Dragons that has that crunchy level growth and development that we're all used to. That abusable munchkining plus 38 hackmaster deliciousness. But I will say, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate against myself, is that if I was trying to play with a brand new set of players, I kind of feel like a D&D game might be too crunchy and people back, I don't understand all the math. And fate might be too open that they're that they're confused by the ability to do anything. So maybe as a starter game, Dungeon World, that's that's kind of its sweet spot where it gives you enough structure that you understand, okay, you're playing a fantasy game, there's wizards and dragons and you can swing your sword and you can, you know, be deceitful, but it's still more conversational and freeform, so you're encouraging role playing where you're actually playing the table. So I, I kind of think maybe I've been doing it so long that I don't appreciate what it does, but as a new group, that actually might be a very solid entry point into the hobby. So it's a gateway game? This is the marijuana of It's RPGs? a gateway game, yes. It, it, when you put it that way, some of the problems do alleviate themselves. I mean, think about it. Even in 5th edition, as a brand new player you have a lot of choices to make. They're very streamlined, and in a lot of cases, they're taken away from you. Um, they're pre-made, but you still have options. If we go backwards to 4th edition, Pathfinder 3.5, as a, as a level 1 brand new character, brand new player, it was very easy to drown in the choices that you're faced with. If we look at Dungeon World... Once you choose what you want to do, whether you want to be a fighter, a cleric, a wizard, the character builds itself on the sheet. It says, okay, pick which race, pick this special power, pick this class ability, done. As a new player, that's, that's pretty handy. You don't have to flip through five books. You don't have to have someone sit down and explain to you, how to pick all the different spells and all the different feats and the different gear you can have. It's just right there on a sheet. And well, you don't have that built-in complexity, you know, back in my original days, basic and first, second edition, you would, a brand new player played the fighter. Like it wasn't even a conversation. If you'd never played before, 
you played the fighter because it was the only thing that you could figure out how to play. And then you built your way up to playing the more complex characters. In Dungeon World, you could play a wizard, a druid, a cleric, a, a fighter, a paladin, whatever. They're all the same rules. They all, you have two or three maneuvers or moves and you roll the same dice and you want the same numbers. And so it's it's very compatible that way, very, very flat, and that you don't have a learning curve for uh, different classes. The other thing that I would say, just to kind of bring that home again, is I have a, a friend of mine who's, as, as we're starting to say now, they're, they're die curious. And I'm trying to get them to play a game with me to, sh- to introduce them to the hobby. And I thought about, well, do I do 5th edition or D&D? And I'm afraid it might be too complex. So my thought was I was going to play Fate, but I was going to pre-generate the characters. Because I thought the creation of the character would be overwhelming for someone who's never played before. And essentially, that's Dungeon World in a lot of ways. If I'm going to play a fantasy version of Fate, but I give you a pre-gen, we're playing Dungeon World. I've been uh, I've been thinking about and we're talking about all this uh, character creation in Dungeon World. I've listened to a, an Apocalypse World uh, actual play, and I think now I'm not sure that Dungeon World is as we played it. Like if I was to go and buy the book, if it was to, if it looked the, the exact way we played it, because in Apocalypse World they literally can do anything they want. Like some guy was a cat person who was a rollerblade shaman or, or, or something. Like that was his thing. Someone was a was a uh, a humanoid spider who was radioactive and if Dungeon World is literally then going, okay, we have this game where anything can happen and it's called Apocalypse World. So let's make a game that's a little bit more a little bit tighter. Or if you could do literally anything you want in Dungeon World that we just don't know it yet. So that's something I'd, I'd like to see or know. Probably somewhere in the middle. I do, again, I know that Apocalypse, uh, Dungeon World is a derivative of it. Just like there's a game called Dungeons of Fate, which is basically Fate Core with rules specifically designed to kind of ma- to modulate a D&D game and make it more D&D focused, hack and slash type of thing. So... I think Sly Flourish, I don't know if he created it or, or part of that. that. That's a game he put together. It's called Dungeons of Fate. But I think that's what it is. I think Apocalypse World is a more open, like GURPS. It's just it really, you can play in any setting, any genre. You can do anything you want. And they just, they took all the tropes of D&D and made Dungeon World with it just for people who wanted to do that. So closing thoughts and, uh, you know, will you play Dungeon World again? If so, why? If not, why not type of a thing? Um, Matthew, we'll start with you. So just any closing thoughts about Dungeon World? Because, again, the point of this is for other people who've never played it to hear the game played and maybe decide they want to play it. So what would you say to someone who's thinking about playing Dungeon World? That's how we'll wrap it up. What would you say to someone who's thinking about it? Fucking Animorphs. <laughs> Did you read Animorphs as a kid? Well, if you didn't, you should. Second, did you want to be the Animorphs? Good. You can be an Animorph in fucking Dungeon World if you play a druid. It was fucking awesome. I was so many different animals. I was more animals in that game that I've ever changed to in any game I've played or DM'd ever. And that includes Werewolf. I played Werewolf, and I changed more in that game than I think I ever have in any game. That's it. That's my closing thoughts. All right, Scott, any closing thoughts for you on Dungeon World? I think um, you know we've talked a lot tonight about Dungeon World. We've brought up other systems to compare it to. Um, I really enjoyed uh, my session. I think it's a, it's a fantastic system. It's a fine setting. Um, uh, my, my strongest takeaway from the session was that now the system I really, really want to play is Apocalypse World. That must be amazing. It sounds like it's fantastic based on what Matthew said and based on my experience with the Dungeon World Decor mechanics. And uh, so that would be my thought if anybody's considering trying it. If you're an intro group of new players, I think uh, you know we, we've made a good point that, that it will draw you right in. Everybody knows Tolkien. But uh, for the post-apocalyptic fans among us, maybe Apocalypse World. All right. Um, as for myself, I don't know that I need to play it again because if I want to get that D&D feel, I'm going to play D&D. If I want to get my Fate feel, I'm going to play Fate. But if I was a new player, I think Dungeon World could be a very good introductory game into this into the hobby where it's got enough crunch that you kind of figure out how that works. It's got enough fluff that you uh, can get into the role play and not get too caught up on the numbers and get into a story-driven narrative. 
So I do think it's a good gateway gamer drug. But for someone as my my level of experience uh, and baggage and history, I don't I don't know that I need that game. Caleb, what about you? I absolutely want to play it again. Uh, I feel like we really just got the tiniest little taste of what Dungeon World can do, and I really would like to dive into uh, some of the deeper aspects of it and play a longer game with more uh, more combat and more social interaction. Really, just test it out, push it to its limits. Um, I think from our limited interaction, uh, Dungeon World does prove to be uh, a very good introductory game, both to role-playing games and to the fantasy trope-type worlds for new players. For me, it feels like one of those systems that I would make use of in a pickup game one-shot. If a couple of us are hanging out after dinner and we have that itch to play D&D, but we don't want to sit down and spend an hour building characters, and we don't have any pre-gens that we feel like rolling with, we could grab the Dungeon World books, throw together a party in 10, 15 minutes, and roll. So I think for that virtue, I like it, and I'm, I'm going to keep playing around with the rule set. Well, we are going to try to continue more of these trials in the future. We are working on trying to network with some new game designers, some kickstarting games, some other things that are out there. So we'll just count that out there. There's no promises, but Caleb, uh, if you had your pick, what is one of the new games or different game that we would try as a trial on the show? Oh, shit. Um, that's way too on the spot for me. Edit that shit out. What's something I haven't played that I want to play? He's looking at a bookshelf for everyone who can't see him. He's gazing. He's reading. His glasses prescription is appropriate, so we should get an answer shortly. Here we go. We're, he's thinking. I simultaneously hate and love you. Ears are turning up. I see a little steam popping out of the ears. We know what it's about, um What about Feng Shui? They, Feng Shui just kick-started second edition, and the original edition is that tree for a couple of months, right? Yeah, it's it's still farther. It's I don't know if it's ended yet. I think it has, but Feng Shui First Edition is still very solid and outstanding. All right, good choice. Okay, Scott. So if you had your druthers, what would be our next trial game? Well, I've already professed my newfound interest in Apocalypse World, so I'd uh, have to say that or Feng Shui. Uh, <clears throat> honestly, in um, I feel like in a lot of the moments of our our session of Dungeon World, uh, when there was a lot of impetus to embellish our descriptions that much more. It just made me think of the feng shui model, where every die you pick up to roll, you embellish. Seems like a fun mechanic. I'd love to give it a shot. Excellent. All right, Matthew, what about you? Is it weird that I'm going to have a list? Yes. Because I have a list. So, games that I'm in... Top three. Top three? Okay, well, I'll start with the one that I'm actually in the works to do, and I put money on. So we'll say Red Aegeus. Then I would say GURPS, because Scott kept mentioning it. I've never played it, and I don't know if anyone else has. And third, I'm interested to see how that Doctor Who RPG works, because I really don't know how you could get away with that, and it'd be fun. You are in a shop. Then the Doctor runs by. You are doing inventory. Beep. Beep. Haley pops <laughs> in the back door. The doctor stuns him with the sonic screwdriver. Runs away. You clock out for the day. Best game ever. Reminds me of a session of superheroes. We did a, I think it was a Marvel system where we played the C-string superheroes, right? There's a, there's a global cataclysm. So the A-string goes to deal with the cataclysm. The B-strings called up to deal with all the supervillains who take advantage of the cataclysm. And as the C-stringers, what you do is mostly get babies and children and walkers out of the way of falling buildings during this time. <laughs> and paperwork. And paper well, yeah. paperwork. Someone's got to do the paperwork. Yeah. As for myself, I am very interested in Numenera. I bought the book at Gen Con. It is a, a gorgeous book. Uh, just probably one of the best, just physically looked at books I've ever I've ever seen. It's amazing. I want to try Dread, but I don't think that's going to work very well over the internet because you play with a Jenga tower. And I do want to play Marvel Heroic. It's been discontinued, but uh, 
Next to D&D, superheroes has always been my second favorite genre of uh, RPGs. So I'd like to give a, give that a whirl with maybe Marvel Heroes. Can I can I throw in a vote for everyone as John? Because I forgot about that. You you when you brought up Dread, it reminded me. Playing everyone as John over over Hangouts would be awesome. That's one that I've listened to a couple of the one shots where they do that. Uh, it's definitely interesting. Again, it's done, it's nothing. I don't think you could play a campaign. It would be designed oh, for a yeah. one shot. It's yeah, a one time. There's no thing. levels. There's no development. It's just this. Excellent. Well, Matthew, Scott, Caleb, thank you so much for your time tonight. I will only have to edit out most of this podcast, and uh, hope. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be out. Yeah, but beware! The fuck almonds podcast is coming to you. <laughs> Quit saying that. Someone's gonna trademark it before we do. Keep that shit. TM. TM. You say TM. You're done. TM. 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 All right. Good night, folks. Thank Bye. you very much. Thanks for attending the RPG Academy and listening to our podcast. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. This podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We will use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out numerous ways. One, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, or you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Also, if you clear your cookies and then visit Amazon or drive through RPG through our portal, we get a kickback from your orders, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like an RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com, or you can reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google+. We are there under The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, Caleb G., at... The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.